during the Thanksgiving feast at my brother and sister-in-law's house, Pandora Christmas music was playing, and then all of a sudden, you just hear, bum, 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 and then this beautiful male voice starts singing, chiggity-cha-hee-ha-hee-ha, it's Dominic the donkey, chiggity-cha-hee-ha-hee-ha, Santa's Italian friend, or something. I've never heard that song. Me either. I had it until this morning. It was, it's, it's so amazing. Everything you could want and more. Episode 90. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Debrief, the weekly Q&A show from Sandals Church and Pastor Matt Brown. I'm your friendly pal, Justin Party, hanging out here with Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, friends? Of course, we got Pastor Matt. Yep. You, you're a child of the... Well, I'm, I consider myself a child of the 80s, but mm. I was a young child in the 80s. You, you were yeah, probably in your heyday. You were in your heyday in the 90s. I rocked yeah. the 80s. I was the breakfast club. Okay. Yeah. What about the 90s? The 90s, were they good? 90s, I was disconnected. So I went to college. And so when I was in college, there wasn't the internet. So I mm-hmm. like there's like four years where I didn't watch any TV, no music, nothing. Because what, you know, when you're in college, it was like an island unto itself. <laughs> and then I got married. And then you, know, then you have no life because I got married. We were poor. I was working like crazy. And then we had a kid. So I like I like woke up in like ninety eight. All right, there you go. <laughs> so nineteen ninety to ninety eight, I was I was in a trance. So it was military, college, and uh, marriage and kids. So nineteen ninety eight. Well, I this woke. is this is episode ninety of the debrief. It's going to be a great one for you, and we hope just over the course of these next ten episodes, you'll hear some great stuff from Pastor Matt. It'll open up your eyes. You'll see the sign. Oh, yeah. So on wow. Pandora, that's the one I never listen to nineties music ever. Okay. I listen to seventies, eighties. Yeah, I just I just am not a big fan of the. Well, the '90s is having a big resurgence right now, so you're probably gonna yeah. start hearing it. Yeah, exactly. Those, those high waisted pants. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the '90s is a weird time. Yeah, fringe. I don't think that was in the '90s. Mm. It was like a '70s thing. I mean, I guess fringe has always been with us, but it's true. Yeah. Well, hey guys, we have a great show planned for you. We got all kinds of good stuff. Before we do that, we have one of our absolute favorite things to do. Uh, this is like literally just a leftover Thanksgiving treat. We're putting you together a beautiful sandwich right now in the form of a five-star wow. review. Wow, I just got a little hungry there. Mm, me too. Cool. I did not eat breakfast today. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, me either. I, I had, didn't eat like second breakfast today, I had coffee so. and a Gatorade. What are you, a <laughs> hobbit? <laughs> hobbit? Hobbit, second breakfast. Hobbit slash pregnant. Yeah. It's all the same. Yeah, we eat the same. It's all so. the same. Oh. So if your baby's a boy, name him Samwise Gamgee. Oh, because he's second breakfast. <laughs> That's sad. Okay, this podcast review comes five star review comes from Sam was here. Now she's not the podcast that cares. Five stars. That's her. That's her nickname. Yeah, that's oh. just the title in her name. That's There's not the still, review. That's not the review. Oh, okay. But, but it's a lady, I think. Yeah, would you like? I'll, so I'm, I'm going to read her. I'm going to defer Stephanie. Yeah. She says, I was so excited when Pastor Matt and two of his favorites answered a couple of my questions on the debris. First of hey, all, ho, yeah. um, I want to know who the favorites are. It's got to be me and you, not Tim. I don't know. Tim. Yeah, you think he's a favorite? Tim, are yes, you, is he one sure. of your favorites? Tim's moving mm-hmm. up in the ranks for he's sure. He's one of your favorites. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I like your beard more. Fair enough. Mm. I did appreciate him being here last week while I was uh, preparing to activate yeah. feast mode. Preparing. Yeah. yeah. How was that? Yeah. Did you make it? Feast Thanksgiving. It was. It was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, I have specific comments about some things related to uh, members of my family, or not technically my family, but that came down maybe from the high desert and brought a little something-something with them. Mm. Maybe didn't clean their hands. I, I would really love know. to have Thanksgiving dinner with you and uh, what's the Japanese hot dog eating champ? Kobayachi? <laughs> what's his name? Kobayachi? I don't actually follow the Japanese. I don't know if he would truly appreciate like all the 60, 62 hot dogs or something mm-hmm. in like five minutes. Full hot dogs with buns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kobayachi or Koba. 
something. He does the thing where he dips them in water first. Yes. Because he, yeah. Starts breaking it down. One of the things that's so great about him is not just that his capacity for hot dog intake, but it's really his leadership, his ability, his innovation, (laughs) flexibility, his willingness to think outside the box. You don't just have to eat it like this. He's going to pull the the dog, then he's going to do the bun, water. Yeah, it's amazing. Innovative. But I would love to have Thanksgiving with him and you. Like just a stare down. We could do because you know we pride. Just do a- you know pride is going to show up, <laughs> and <laughs> literally Justin cannot be defeated. Thanksgiving no. is absolutely the best. It's it's like all the good parts of Christmas without mm-hmm. the presents. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. and then you still have Christmas to look forward to. That's what Tyler and I were talking about. Like oh, yeah. Thanksgiving's great because you get to do all the fun things, and then Christmas is. It's still like coming. a kickoff. Thanksgiving uh, yeah. is. I like Thanksgiving more than Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite holiday. Yeah, it's the it's absolute fun. best. Yeah. yeah there, there's a parade. There's rolls with butter. Mm-hmm. Tons of great food. Well, let me so, just. Pastor Matt, what's your favorite Thanksgiving side? Your oh, side dish. Man, my favorite my favorite side is my wife. I love her because she makes everything. <laughs> my wife, my wife is the greatest cook on earth. And uh, so here's the thing mm. is my wife is limited mm. because of my oh, dietary yeah. restrictions. I, but she, she makes married, some incredible gluten-free yeah, things. Yeah, she married she married Bubble Boy. So she has to <laughs> like no egg, no dairy, no all this stuff. My wife made pies, man. I and they were like miniature ones. So everybody mm-hmm. gets their own and blueberry and apple. And so it was all gluten-free. All uh, dairy free. It was it was so good. So the people that um, ate with us didn't even. We had some friends over. Didn't even know that they were not like normal. Oh. They were delicious. Absolutely delicious. Well, My son drives me crazy though. Like okay. I told him, I was like, your your wife. I was gonna pray for your wife because he eats nothing. Like he will <laughs> not eat anything. It drives me crazy. Like he thinks pies are gross. I'm like, then you don't know what gross is. Hmm. Yeah, we failed as parents in terms of. <laughs> I think a lot of kids don't like pies. Like I didn't like them as a kid, but I like them now. Oh my gosh! So. Smell the smell of a baked pie. Oh my goodness! So, anyways, my, my favorite side dish is got to be the sweet potatoes. Oh, yeah. So, so my, many people say that. My it's wife makes sweet good. potatoes mm-hmm. with um, uh, a marshmallow on top, butter, and then an orange. We actually got oh, that from uh, Lori Albee's mom. Mm. We got that from her. So, um, yeah, mm. Lori Albee's mom's man. A great cook. That mm. sounds amazing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, that was a great little detour yeah. for this five-star yeah. review. I got one sentence into a review, and we <laughs> talked through all of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the Lord's Supper. And, That's and true. We're going to come back to Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. So she says, it was so excited when Pastor Matt and two of his favorites, I'm going to include myself in there at least, answered a couple of my questions on the debrief. Mm-hmm. It was at a time when I was feeling like no one cared, and he answered my questions in the most thoughtful way and really took the time to give solid biblical advice. Since then, I started attending Sandals Church and fell in love with a focus on how essential it is to be real with ourselves, oh, that's awesome. God, and others. Listen to the debrief and then started attending Sandals. Yeah. That's so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, she says, now I'm beginning to find very genuine, meaningful friendships and some true purpose for my life. I love how easy it is to share this podcast with others and to begin meaningful conversations in a non-awkward way. The funny banter and sound wisdom are also perfect to listen to with my husband on date night. Oh, the content in this pro- hey, podcast is truly priceless. I can't believe it's free. P.S. I cannot mm. thank the debrief team enough. This podcast was the first domino in completely changing my life for the better over these last few months. I can't wait to start serving more at Samuel's Church and be a part of what God is doing there. That's awesome. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. And if you're out there like Sam and you can't believe this podcast is free, well, we got an option for you to just simply text the two words, give debrief to 951-900-4120. It is free, but let your heart lead the way. Well, Towards generosity? I think that's the opposite of what. Yeah. yeah maybe let scripture lead the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And change your heart. To yeah. Following your heart's going to lead you to a mall. <laughs> that's true. Let uh, your heart be cheerful. I don't like the mall, As you give. I don't either, man. I'm it grateful. I got to say this, though. I'm a little concerned about <clears throat> the amount of. I don't Are you guys concerned about the amount of cardboard? 
with Amazon. Like it I'm a little, I'm mm-hmm. a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Like big box, tiny item. Yeah, well, there's it's a lot of cardboard. Like Listen. my wife, I'm like, babe, we need we need a second recyclable <laughs> trash can because of Amazon. I mean, and then of course she doesn't worry about it because it's my job to break down the cardboard because right. I'm the man in the house. That's and right. that's you like, just bring them on, bring them on over here, throw them in the back of my car. I got a fire pit now, and I've been using it all as a fire starter. I think oh. that's not good. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's been I'm working pretty great sure for me. you're giving us all lung cancer. It's been working great for me. Yeah. yeah. It's, that's a lot of cardboard. Mm-hmm. Anyways. It does come in huge quantities. Yeah. You got to flatten it down. All right. Hey, we got a follow-up question. This one comes in from Alicia. She says, you talked a few episodes back about the importance of raising kids who fear God. My husband and I are very proactive in the teaching, in teaching our little ones about Jesus. We read the Bible and pray daily, study hymns, read devotional books, and they attend Real Avenger Team. I think we're doing a pretty good job teaching them about Jesus and the Bible, but can you give us some practical ways that we can be teaching our kids to fear the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. So part of the challenge is, is with the English translation of the word fear. So the Hebrew word for fear really means awe, like in our word, awesome. The problem is, why don't we translate it awesome? Because awesome means cool, hip, you know, it just, Mm -hmm. awesome doesn't mean the right word anymore because it became slang. So it's translated fear, but it's the sense of awe. And the best way you can teach your kid the sense of awe is getting them into positions and places where they feel small. And so our society is completely lost of sense of awe. Like I, I follow a couple of sites on Instagram, uh, Fathomless Life, and it's just morons. Morons swimming with tiger sharks, swimming with great white sharks, you know, petting them. And, and, and here's the problem is human beings have lost their sense of awe. The sense of awe, something is awesome when it makes you feel small. And as you reflect on its size and its power, you reflect on your own inadequacy and, and, and inability to deal with its raw power. And this is why, you know, our society, we're just, we're idiots. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we go to see a killer whale. And so a killer whale, oh, it's a stuffed animal. It's called a killer whale. (laughs) And then we're all shocked and surprised when it eats a person. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, what's, it's a killer whale. You forgot what it is. It's not a cuddly stuffed animal. And oftentimes we do with God what we've done with the killer whale. We make him a cuddly stuffed animal and he is powerful and he is awesome. And we need to understand our smallest in terms of his vastness. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it means. It's understanding you relationally to God. It's like, you know, when your kids see the the sun, maybe a sunset, you know, the sun looks so small, but the reality, it's what, 1,000 times the size and mass of the earth. I mean, think about that. It's vast and massive and grand. And that's why the Bible say the heavens declare the glory of God. So when we, we look out at the vastness of space and scientists are now telling us, that the universe is bigger than they thought. Mm-hmm. It's right. It's it's not growing. Our understanding is growing of the size of the universe. The the heavens, space declares the glory of God. So the immensity of who He is. And the next thing is is don't be don't be too quick to teach your kids not to be afraid. Children are born with a natural sense of awe and fear, and that is God given. So they're afraid of the dark. They're afraid of things under the bed. They're afraid of those things. So t- take those moments as an opportunity to teach. You know what? What are dark things afraid of? What 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 are uh, monsters afraid of? You know, oh, we'll get. Well, the Bible says monsters are real. Leviathan's in the Bible. Leviathan is God's pet. Mm-hmm. God dominates evil things. The devil is afraid of God. The devil understands who God is in relation to who He is, and we don't. And so, you know, teach your kids. Look, we don't have to be afraid of dark things because we we have the right sense of awe for God. And so the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, the awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. It is the foundation, I believe the the New Living Translation says. So it's the starting point. So teach your kids to have a sense of awe and wonder 
of God. Um, you know, uh, Bethel Worship sings a song, may we never lose our wonder. And, and that's what I think modern generation, if you're under the age of 25, you are not impressed by anything. And how sad for you. Mm. That's a challenge for you because you're just like, yeah, whatever. You know, special effects don't do it. Nobody cares. We've lost our sense of awe and wonder because we think we understand everything and we think we know everything. And the reality is we don't know anything. We don't even... We don't even know. I love it when some sea creature that everybody thought was extinct washes up on the shore. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. we don't even know what's swimming in the ocean. Nobody knows. And so how do we create a sense of awe? So that's what I would do with your kids. You know, don't scare your kids to death, you know, but g- teach them to have a sense of smallness and tininess. And, um, you know, when your kids are little, you know, Stephanie, you're getting ready to have a kid, boy or girl, um, you know, when when that child is in daddy's arms and, and daddy's so big and feels so big, well, I feel small when I'm in God's arms. That's how much bigger God is than me. God is mm-hmm. massive and powerful and strong. And so that's what dads are supposed to communicate, the strength and power. And, um, you know, we need, to, we need to love God and know that he loves us, but we also need to have a healthy sense of respect and awe for God because mm-hmm. that's who he is. You know, the Bible says, you believe in God, great. Well, so does the devil and he trembles. Mm-hmm. He trembles at his name. And, um, you know, uh, a great teaching point, I think, is the cartoon, um, The Lion King. Um, it's a great cartoon, 90s, one of the 90s episode. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the greatest cartoon of the 1994, 90s. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, 94, I think. Oh, I love that. Watch it with your kids. But there's there's a scene in that um, movie where the hyenas talk about Mufasa, mm-hmm. the king, the king lion. And she says, even the saying of his name, she gives her chills. I think it's Whoopi Goldberg that mm-hmm, plays the, mm-hmm. the hyena and she does it so well, but she's Mufasa ooh, and, and it freaks <laughs> yeah. her out because he is so powerful. Now he's good, he's kind and he's true, but he is powerful, mm-hmm. absolutely powerful. And uh, even the child, the, the little cub in that- uh, Simba. Simba. Simba doesn't understand how powerful his dad is because he's only experienced the love, mm-hmm. but he hasn't experienced the power. And so C.S. Lewis, um, so if you want a more biblical stance, read- uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Where, yeah, I just where, finished book one with my boys. Yeah, where God is the lion. And as the children go to approach the lion, they ask, should we be afraid? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Why? The children say, because he's a lion. <laughs> and so the kids are like, uh, they're not sure what to do. And then they're reminded he is good, mm-hmm. but is also, and, and here's how the English word has changed, but is also terrible. And, and by terrible, they don't mean like awful or bad, but terrible as in frightening. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the, the, you know, words changed their meaning over time, but he is something to be feared and he is terrifyingly powerful. And that's who God is, terrifyingly powerful and powerful. And, and teach your kids to understand that, that, that when we approach God, we should be humble because not of who, because of who we are, but because of who God is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in order to come in front of God, one must, if, if you can't humble yourself, then you're in front of the wrong God. You mm-hmm. don't know who it is that you stand in front of. You don't know who it is that you worship. And that's why I'm super excited about our next series, More Than a Manger. Mm-hmm. We're going to be studying uh, Christmas. More than a manger. Yeah, yeah that's terrible. Uh, we're going to be studying Christmas, Christmas gift from the pers- perspective of First John. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not First John, John chapter 1. And a lot of people go to Luke and Matthew for the stories, which are great. And, and that tells us what happened, but it doesn't tell us what really happened. Mm. It just gives us like the history of the event, but it doesn't tell us the universal nature of the event. And that's what John does. 
it wasn't a child. And because, you know, I think we want to make Jesus small because we can control a baby. But when we allow Jesus to be more than just a baby in the manger, then he controls us mm-hmm. and, 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 and we worship him for who he is. And so, um, so anyways, that's what I would say is I, I think that there are fantastic ways, but anytime your kids see something bigger than them, anything that reminds them of how tiny they are, uh, the ocean, when they feel afraid, you know, God is, God is the God of the sea. He controls the sea and the waves and the power. And, um, you know, anytime, you know, your kids you know, get thrown by a wave or you're literally out of control. Those are moments where God has given us natural resources in our lives to make us feel small. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, take your kids camping where it's dark mm-hmm. and you can actually go out and see the stars and tell your kids that God knows every star by name. Mm-hmm. He counts them. He knows how many grains are in the sand. I mean, that's who God is. And those are passages that tell us of the immensity of God. And those are just great illustrations to, yeah. to teach your kids. But, you know, Jesus used things that people could see. He never talked about things that, that, you know, they couldn't see. He talked about, right, you know, the kingdom of God is like a tree. The kingdom of God is like a shrub. The kingdom of God is like, I mean, it's, he used examples that people could understand. So use examples of where your kids are and help them to understand this, that God is bigger than our house. It's bigger than Sandals Church. He's bigger than the earth. You know, yeah. he's bigger than, and, and, and use those things as they encounter them um, because that will give them just a healthy sense of wonder. So, you know, Alicia, you're already doing a ton of things uh, with your kids. I just was going to share one thing I've discovered. My oldest boys, or my two boys are six and eight. My girls are younger. We just started listening to a podcast together called Wow in the World. And it's like a, it's like a science podcast for kids. And what's cool is not only is it, since it's made for kids, not only do they understand it, uh, but I can understand it because I don't get the, but then I, when I can understand it, then I can paint a picture and we can point those things back to God, you know? So we're, we, they'll talk about how big the universe is and they'll paint these pictures for kids. And it's really, really, really cool. It's been a helpful resource for us. We listen to it on the way home from school or when we're running errands called Wow in the World. It's been cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, well, let's jump into kind of debriefing this weekend's sermon and then some other questions we've gotten in on similar topics. So here at our Hunter Park campus, Justin, you actually got a chance to teach this weekend. So we mm-hmm. kind of went through a more interactive experience. We took the Lord's Supper. Um, and Elise wrote in a question and said, Justin shared a powerful verse, John 15, 3, in which Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And she asks, what word is Jesus referencing here? Is it a summary of all of his teachings, the message at the Last Supper, or that he is the true vine? Also, how does that word already cleanse us? Right, that's great. So John um, uses very, very basic concepts to communicate complex things. And so it's always interesting to me that new believers are encouraged to read John. I think John yeah, I is, is the most difficult of the four gospels um, to read. And so people, uh, we'll talk a little bit about this in our next sermon series. And so, you know, people, most scholars believe that John is the last gospel mm-hmm. written. Um, I think a lot of people believe that John is written um, to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I don't agree with that. I think John is actually uh, an insider's uh, perspective. I think it's written by Jews for Jews who are questioning and, 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 and wondering what on earth is going on in their faith. And I think it's an argument from the inside. So a lot of Jews, unfortunately, read John and they see it as very anti-Semitic, very, very against Jews. And uh, I, don't, I don't read that. Um, John is written by a Jew. It's written about Jews. It's written about a savior who was a Jew but it's confronting the issue that uh, legal uh, Jews that had legal power 
uh, murdered Jesus Christ mm-hmm. with, with the authority of a pagan nation, Rome. So they conspired with pagans to kill the Messiah. And it's really trying to confront people. And so the most important verse in the book of John is actually John twenty thirty one, And John says this, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of the entire gospel of John is that we would understand who he is. So when you read John, you're, go- you're going to, you, you, don't ha- you don't have to get past the first four verses in John to understand who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God himself. And so we need to understand that. So in John 1, 1, and we're gonna talk about this weekend at church, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the word, word in English is word, in Greek, it is logos. Mm-hmm. And it means so much more than simple words. It is uh, in Greek philosophy, it is the unmoved mover of Aristotle. So it is the creative element that started the universe in Greek philosophy. In uh, Judaism, it is the creative power by which the universe is created. And so that's why it's so important. What John means here by the words I have spoken to, you are already clean. The word of God is the creative act of God by which he brings new life. Mm-hmm. And so the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is bringing his words to renew your life. He is changing you, not through your effort, but through his power and his actions. And so we are saved and we are clean because of our faith in the work of the word. And I know that sounds difficult, but that's what Jesus is saying. What I'm doing, everything I'm doing here, his words are not just the words that he speaks, but the life that he lived, the scriptures that he points out to, the miracles that he does. Everything about Jesus is making us clean because of what he is doing. And so our whole life is focused on him, dependent upon him, which in that context of John 15, if we remain in him, he will remain in us. He's gonna prune us, but we're gonna stay connected to God. And so, you know, um, a a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, but one of the illustrations of, you know, Israel is this, this vineyard this vineyard of God and vineyards were a sign of wealth, a sign of power and a sign of blessing in the ancient world. And that's something that would have been fairly common, right? right. In Israel. So they would understand what Jesus yeah. is talking about. And so it's a symbol of, look, if you remain in me, you're going to be blessed. I mean, if you've got, if go out into Temecula and read that vineyards are beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, have a glass mm-hmm. of wine. If you're not an alcoholic, have a glass <laughs> of wine, um, go out there uh, and just, and just take in the beauty of, of God's creation and yeah. understand that, those grapes were created through a process of intentional pruning, pruning and preparing in order to bring about the very best flavor. And that's what God is doing in you. He is working in you. The work that God began in you, he's gonna carry it out at completion. And so Jesus is doing that when we allow him and we allow him to do the work in us by believing in Jesus Christ and by repenting of our sin and saying, God, I'm not just gonna think about you because that's what, that's what a lot of people think believing means. It means I think that Jesus is the savior. Look, the devil thinks that Jesus is the savior, but the devil is not repentant and the devil has not chosen to follow Jesus. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? I, Jesus, I wanna think like you, I wanna act like you, and I wanna learn to feel like you. I'm gonna become like you in every possible way that I can. And that's the process of pruning and remain. It's a painful process mm-hmm. because all of us have things in us that are not like Jesus. I mean, 
I don't wake up in the morning, the husband like Jesus. I'm not the father like Jesus. I'm not the pastor like Jesus. Man, I'm not even an American citizen like Jesus. Every single day, God has to prune things. And and in my life, it's been very, very uh, painful experiences where God's had to work me through things to get me to deal with things. And the only way that God grows us so that we can bear fruit is by pruning. And so it's this process. But the word that Jesus is talking about is the word that John uses all throughout the scripture that has a humongous meaning yep. that is grand and is great. And it's not simply the words that Jesus speaks, but it's the life that Jesus lived. It's the death that Jesus died. It's the resurrection that happened. It's the entire movement of God. Jesus has done everything in us and for us. And so we have to trust that. That is his word. And so um, just don't limit it to the English, you know, Mm W-O-R-D, but understand that John is being intentional because his Greek audience, as they're wrestling with who Jesus is, and the Greek-speaking Jews, because when John was written, uh, the temple is probably destroyed. Jerusalem is probably destroyed. So there's no more temple. There's no more Jerusalem. There's no more Israel in terms of a nation. And all that's left are the Jews that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire and so he's speaking to them. So they speak Greek, they understand Greek, they live in a Greek world, they have a Greek mindset. And he's saying, hey guys, look, God is doing something new and something different. And it's no longer tied to the temple, it's tied to the word, the logos of mm-hmm. God. And the logos has come. And so we're gonna, for the next four weeks, we're only gonna study 16 verses, mm-hmm. the first 16 verses of the gospel of John. And um, in those 16 verses, it's gonna tell us everything we need to know about Jesus and how we become a follower of Jesus. How does the word make us clean? Mm -hmm. And this is what it says. Those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That's how we become clean. When we believe in Jesus, we confess our sins and we come to him and we say, I wanna, Jesus, I'm nothing like you, but I wanna become everything like you. That's what repentance means. Then he gives us the right to become children of God. You don't have to be Jewish to be right with God. You have to follow Jesus. And that is both for the Jew and for the non-Jew. And, and we all are going to be saved the same way by faith, which by the way, is what the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible says. So, um, oh man, what is the verse? I can't think of it, but the righteous shall live by faith. It's not Haggai or it mm. starts with an H. Ugh. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Oh. There we go. Yes, thank you, Habakkuk. <laughs> only H I think it's one think four, of. the righteous shall, shall live by faith, or maybe two four, I have to look it up. Mm. We'll put that in the notes, my mm. apologies. No, it's good. Yeah, I love that question. I remember 10 years ago, way before there was the debrief, I, I, I literally was reading this verse and I was like, wah, and emailed you and we came in when we asked you that same question. It's been cool. Yeah, and again, you know, if you're a new Christian, don't start with John. Mm-hmm. I would start with Luke. Mm-hmm. Luke is intentionally simple, writing to a non-religious uh, uh, audience. Well, I mean, maybe they were religious, but they didn't understand Christianity and they certainly didn't understand Judaism. John, there's so many things in there where I think he assumes that the audience knows what he's talking about. And that's why, you know, the vine and the branch and these things that are really, really Jewish concepts. And again, I think he's writing to Jews, trying to convince them that, look, man, this Jesus is not just the Messiah, but there was a grander picture. He is the cosmic king of the earth and the world. And he is not just national in terms of his redemptive power, he is global. And then Paul will tell us he's actually universal. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't just set things right on earth. He actually set things right in all the heavens, all, all of creation. And by the way, we don't even know what that is. Mm. We don't even know what that is. So 
The universe is vast. The universe is massive. What Jesus Christ did on the cross didn't just redeem earth, but it redeemed all creation, all planets, all life, all that it is. The work on the cross is significant and central to everything that God is doing in the universe. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. So it's bigger than you think. Yeah. One of the things that you shared with me a long time ago, just for other for listeners who, like if you run across a verse and you're like, I don't know what to do here. Like I just kept looking at John 15, one through an 11, trying to figure out this over and over and over again. But if you actually look at the whole thing, John 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are all one long conversation. And if you go back, and I did this a whole bunch over the last month, if you go through that, Jesus uses these phrases clean over and over a couple right. of times and the word a couple of times. Um, that help paint that picture of what he's actually talking about. So one of the, I think the principle there was like, don't just stare at this one little tiny verse and the ones around it to try and figure it out, but like back up and get pick up some of that extra context. Yeah. So yeah, John uses very, very simple themes. And that's why I think most people say start there, but the, the simple themes are really complex. So dirty and clean, light and dark, um, good and evil. And th- those those things are contrasted throughout the scripture. Uh, in, in the book of John. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I love John and, and we'll get into this next series as to why there's four gospels and why those things matter and, and why I think it's important that we understand John's perspective and why I think ultimately that John is the author of the gospel of John because some people mm-hmm. debate that, but yeah. they're wrong. So Truri wrote in and she says, why don't we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday, which is something I grew up doing as a church right. in my, in, as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great, great question. And so the first thing I think we have to we have to answer is what is the Lord's Supper? Um, it's a supper. Mm-hmm. It's an actual meal. And so that makes it very, very difficult to do in large gatherings. It just does. Mm-hmm. So if you grew up, and I'm sure your church was very, very small. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the smaller the church, the easier it is to do on mm-hmm. a regular basis. The problem is Jesus Christ hasn't called us to just do the Lord's Supper. He's called us to reach the world. Mm-hmm. So what that means is we're gonna grow. So we are struggling with this question. We, we're going to do the Lord's Supper more often. It's actually my goal to do the Lord's Supper in our church on the first Sunday of every month of this year. Dex and I have actually been talking this in our creative element and creating space where we present the gospel, we give people an opportunity to repent, and then we participate in the Lord's Supper. But when you look at scripture, uh, even in Acts 2, the church gathered in the temple for worship. So they, they needed a big space to gather. And mm-hmm. then they went into homes and they broke bread and shared in the Lord's Supper. They had a meal. And so ultimately where I'd like our church to go in the future is I would like us to corporately gather once a month for the Lord's Supper, but then on a more regular basis. And I think it needs to be as needed. And I'm gonna explain why I think it shouldn't be every week. Because when it's every week and it becomes the center of the worship experience, then the church is not listening to to what needs to be taught. So if you're Catholic, right, the mass is the central element of every gathering. And so that's really where it comes from. The problem with that is many, many Catholics understand the mass or don't, and they haven't been taught how to live as the church. Mm -hmm. And so the primary goal of the gathered church on the weekend is to figure out how to live as the church. That's the other question I get asked is, why don't we give an invitation every week? Because I'm preaching to the church. Mm -hmm. Now I know there's non-believers present, but my primary purpose is to preach to those who follow Jesus. And most of them already know how to be saved. What they don't know is how to live like saved people. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do on the weekends is communicate to the church how they're supposed to live as Christians and then to present Jesus in such a way where he is attractional to people who are not Christians. That's always in my mindset. 
So the Lord's Supper is complex and confusing. Um, and I think we're going to get into it. I think there's some a couple more questions in this mm-hmm. debrief episode. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird if you're an outsider and you have to understand that. And, and that's intentional. So, uh, because Jesus set it up that way. But it's, it's a meal. And so here's what I think we need to do is we need to reintegrate that the Lord's Supper is something that should be done in community groups at the beginning of a shared meal. And the purpose of the shared meal is Thanksgiving. And a lot of people don't realize this, that really the Lord's Supper is way more like the Thanksgiving meal than it is like what we do in church. Yeah. So the word Eucharist in the New Testament is the word that we use for the Lord's Supper, which means thanks. That's where that's what the word means, the Eucharist, where, you know, and they don't use that word anymore. Catholics use mass. Some churches say communion. Others say the Lord's Supper. The actual word in the Greek is the Eucharist, which means the thanks. We come together to give thanks. And so what should be happening in small groups is on a regular basis, you should be sharing a meal where you're giving thanks. Mm -hmm. And the way we do that is, uh, and here's what's really, really important. We need to have time for reflection. And this is why it's really, really challenging in mass church because we have non-believers that are present, a lot of non-believers. The next is we don't have a lot of time for people to confess. Mm -hmm. That's best done in small group with people that know you and know your story. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, and if you wanna look at the Lord's Supper in depth, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says the first thing that needs to happen is number one, take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Number two, there needs to be a time for you to examine yourself. You need to make sure. Number three, you need to have time for confession Mm -hmm. because if you take the Lord's Supper without examining yourself and without having a time of confession, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Mm -hmm. So you need need to be able to do that. Is there something I need to confess? Is there something that needs to be made right in my life? And so here's the beauty and the power of the Lord's Supper. Man, I am saved not by what I did, but what Jesus did for me. And so what did he do? He was murdered for Mm -hmm. me on the cross. So the bread represents his broken body. And the blood that he shed on the cross, which is representative, we use a grape because it's not messy, or you can use grape juice. I discourage wine because we have alcoholics in our church that yeah. would cause them to stumble. Uh, but some, uh, and I don't like the common cup. I think that's gross. <laughs> I'm a germaphobe. That's just me. Um, so, but, but do some kind of element in that way where you're remembering and you just take a moment and you say, look, we are gathered together in Jesus' name because of what he did for us. And there needs to be a... a a time that's very, very often where you remember, and I think it's very, very powerful. And what it invokes is an opportunity for people to confess, which is a part of our vision of being real. And again, if you're in a community group and I ask you, when's the last time somebody confessed sin in your group and you can't remember, that's a problem. Because mm-hmm. every member in your group has sinned every day of every week of their life. When's the last time you, somebody in your group said, look, this is what I did. I'm confessing on a weekly basis to um, our church leadership. Here's what's happening. Here's what's here's what's going on. Because that's what I'm dealing with and that's what I'm struggling with. And it's a real part. And we can do that because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So, the, so communion is a powerful opportunity for confession. And so we don't just commune with God. We never do the Lord's Supper by ourselves. Mm-hmm. We always do it with the church. That's what it's, what it's supposed to be. So we do it with the church and... Um, let me give you one more verse. Da, 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 da. Paul also talks about, I think it's in- Can you push into that really quickly? Actually, after this, one of the services Sunday morning, I had a gal come up to me and said, I love that we did communion. She said, I take communion uh, by myself uh, regularly. I think she, she was saying like, maybe not every day, but several times a week just to get herself right with Jesus and pumped up. 
Yeah, that's you. Sh- you should not be baptized by yourself, and you should not share communion by yourself. So the word communion, we commune with God and with each other. Mm-hmm. So it's to be done in the presence of the church. And so we need to go back to what the word church means, ecclesia, called out ones, which is the gathering, the assembly, the congregation of God. So when we gather together, God is present in a powerful way. So we do not partake of the Lord's Supper by ourselves. We do not baptize by ourselves. We do that with the church um, because the gathered family of God is what God has called us to. God hasn't just called us to him. He's called us to his family, mm-hmm. his kingdom. And we are a part of that. We're, we're, we're not all of that. And again, that's how we have a healthy sense of awe for God. It's not all about me. It's about God and his family. And for a lot of us, you know, we're still stuck in the me kingdom and we need to shift to the we kingdom because that's when you become more like Jesus is when you care about his sheep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus, his heart is broken is for his sheep, his flock, yeah. his herd, his congregation. And he says, right, the, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are very, very few people that actually get that it's not all about them. It's about his family. And, um, you know, that's the number one struggle I have with my children is getting them to think in a family way. All of my kids don't ever have to worry about thinking about only themselves. They do that naturally. What they don't do well is think about how are they interacting with the family? How are they interacting? And so being a child is being me focused. Being an adult is being family focused. How does this affect others? And some adults, right, never grow up and they're still self-centered, narcissist, immature, you know, me holes, right? That's my word. <laughs> and, and that's tragic. That's not Christian. That means the work of Jesus Christ has not manifested itself in your life. And that's scary. So we need to look at others. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, and a lot of people look at 1 Corinthians 14 and say, oh, it's all about tongues. And everybody gets caught up in that. What 1 Corinthians 14 is about is, is about worship in the presence of non-believers. Mm-hmm. And that is Paul's chief concern. The secondary issue is tongues. His primary concern is, look, you have people that are there that think you're weird. So pay attention. <laughs> so here's what Paul says. He says, well, my brothers, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Let's summarize. So he's gonna summarize the entire chapter. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, and another will have some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said, but everything must be done in a way that strengthens all of you. And so what we're primarily trying to do on the weekends is strengthen people. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to strengthen the believer and I'm trying to strengthen the non-believer. I'm trying to move everybody closer to uh, deepening their relationship with Jesus or starting a relationship with Jesus. Right. And in order to do that, um, the Lord's Supper is not the best starting point. It's just not. That's what believers do. That's the gathering of the saints. So we need to have church with non-believers in mind. And that is all throughout scripture. Yeah. There are always gonna be non-believers present. And a lot of churches that do Lord's Supper every week are, are insider focused mm-hmm. and they're not aware of outsiders. Jesus is always very aware of the outsiders. He is outsider focused. And Paul is outsider focused. The epistles are outsider focused. And so Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14, you need to be aware that non-believers are present and, and the way you do worship must lead people to say, wow, God is present and God is powerful and I'm gonna come back. Read 1 Corinthians 14. That's the primary purpose. And what we always do as Christians is we focus on the secondary issue. It drives me crazy. Hmm. Paul's purpose in 1 Corinthians 14 is don't weird people out with your <laughs> whacked out worship, but draw people in. And, you know, 
Don't have a service where people people laugh at you or, or people make fun of you. Ha- have a service that draws people to conviction. And the best way to do that is audible words that people understand. Mm-hmm. So even within the context of speaking in tongues, Paul's issue is it must be interpreted so everyone understands. Otherwise, you have insiders and outsiders. And, and in, in the church, we want to make sure that everybody feels like an insider. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why small churches don't grow. They don't realize this, but they're so insider focused, it feels really awkward for an outsider. Mm-hmm. Sandals, you know, like the gal that said, she, she heard the debrief, she came, she got plugged in. And she, everything we do, we are not perfect at it. We need to get better. Mm-hmm. But we are trying to make it easy for people to be a part. Mm-hmm. And a lot of churches say that, but man, there's a reason nobody comes. There's a, there's a reason. Like if you have a restaurant and nobody's coming, I don't care how great you think your food is. It ain't that great. Mm-hmm. Or it's too expensive or something's wrong. It's dri- Something you're doing is driving people away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and let me say this for all of our critics who love to hate sandals. The gospel is offensive enough. So we need to be less offensive, mm. right? You're dying and going to hell. That's already offensive enough. <laughs> yeah, so that's... let's try to not be offensive in the way that we do things and what we do in order to bring people to a place where they will at least listen to the presentation of the gospel in a non-offensive way. And, and I believe that's happening at Sandals Church. And I believe God is doing great things in our church. I mean, I, I wasn't in church this weekend. I had uh, face surgery, as you guys can see my faces. <laughs> Looks like I got hit by a fire from hell, but... Um, oh, I was thinking more about when Jesus went up on that Mount of Transfiguration. I don't think oh, yeah. he looked like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just got caught in the glow. Yeah, well, I got caught in the <laughs> flames of hell. Um, so I got my face fried off, but, uh, but Justin, you preached. And so my wife, my, my wife and I, my family and I, we watched online. Mm-hmm. Man, the second worship started... Uh, I literally had tears in my eyes mm. and I was drawn immediately into the presence of God while we were watching on our TV screen from home. Mm-hmm. It was powerful. Mm. And uh, and that's what God does because Sandals is intentional about trying to bring people in from the outside. And what was the greatest conflict in the early church? Listen to me, all my haters. The greatest conflict in the early church was all these outsiders have to become exactly like us to be a part of the kingdom of God. And they, and the Bible unanimously says, no, they don't. No, they don't. Mm -hmm. They need to come where they are and let God deal with them and change their hearts and their lives. And now we preach truth, but we have to tear down every wall Mm -hmm. possible. Religion loves to put up walls. Jesus came to tear them down. (laughs) So that's that's the reality. Um, You know, and and let me just say this, our listeners, the larger sandals grows, the more critical other churches will become Mm -hmm. because it's easier to criticize us than it is to look at themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. And every single leader, church, pastor, Christian must look at themselves and say, what can we do different Mm -hmm. to reach more people for Christ? What can we do? Because we're all going to be held accountable before God. Mm -hmm. And um, God wants to grow his kingdom and God wants to grow his church. And I believe that a healthy church needs to grow. Yeah. So, so Alex has this question says, can you uh, tell me more about John chapter six, verses 53 and 54, where Jesus said, again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person on the last day. Is this talking about reading the word of God in order to gain belief that leads to repentance and salvation? Or is it about the sanctification process of being forgiven daily or both? Yeah, right on. So Jesus is being intentionally confusing. Once again, I believe the gospel of John is written by Jews to Jews. He's trying to confront their issues with Jesus. And and one of their issues with Jesus is some of the things that he said. And, uh, you know, that's why we see this story here in John. 
And it's just brutal. I mean, it's just brutal. It stumbles. It causes many, many followers of Jesus to fall away. I mean, literally he just went from a mega church to a little church in one sermon. Mm. And uh, it's deeply offensive. And even his 12 thought about bailing because Mm. Jesus says, are you two going to abandon me? And Peter's like, well, we thought about it, but you alone have words that lead to eternal life. This was a very, very uh, concerning sermon by Jesus. And um, so, because they took it literally, to eat the body of Jesus and drink the blood of Jesus would be a sin, according to everything that is mosaic. I mean, it's unclean to touch a dead body, much less eat a person. Mosaic? Oh, Oh, the Old Testament law. Old Testament law. Okay, Yeah, sorry. Um, So, uh, the the laws of Moses, that's what I meant, not mosaic. So. Jesus is being intentional. What, what he's saying here, and so you have to look at it in context. So John chapter six, you got to eat my blood or drink my blood and eat my flesh. What happens in John seven? This is why you need to learn to read scripture throughout. John seven is the feast of tabernacles. So everyone's going to go for one of the biggest Jewish holidays in the, in the year. It's, it's a big, big deal. It's where they celebrate the harvest. Everybody's got money because they just harvested. They got crops. Everybody's loaded, right? It's like it's like uh, Christmas. Yeah. Well, it's tax return season. Everybody's, oh, yeah, everybody, go. everybody's got all this extra <laughs> we need money. More holidays. Yeah. And so they're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to sleep in tents for seven days. Okay. Remembering. I didn't what, get a hotel if I just got a big tax return, but. No, you can't do it. Because what they'd remember during the Feast of Tabernacles is they remember when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 oh, years. Oh, okay. So in the wilderness for 40 years, how did God feed the Israelites? The, yeah, heaven. right. Manna from he heaven. He provided daily. Yes. Manna from heaven. God sent bread from heaven. Mm. Who is Jesus? He is the new bread that has come from heaven. Okay. And so the way, just like you cannot live physically without bread mm-hmm. and, and food. You, you, if you don't eat, you die. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. So if you, don't, if you don't eat of Jesus, you'll never be alive spiritually. Jesus is the new manna from God. Mm-hmm. And unless you believe in him, and in, unless you take part in the reality of his death, and so, you know, part of the problems with the rejection of Jesus is that he died. He was crucified. And so what he's saying is, you have to partake in my death. You have to understand that I died so that you can live. Without my death, there's no food for your soul. And that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And so we don't physically have to eat him or drink his blood. What we have to do is acknowledge through the Lord's Supper, right? When we take the bread and we drink the wine, we are remembering that his death saved us. His death sustains us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a picture ultimately of the cross and what's going to happen. And he does so right before the Feast of Tabernacles because they already acknowledge there's a Jewish audience that God fed them supernaturally. Mm-hmm. Manna is a supernatural meal from God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is a supernatural meal from God for your soul. And so he's trying to speak to Jews to say, look, God has always been about this. Mm-hmm. He's always saved you through miraculous ways. And right. now he's gonna save you through me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying. He's not being literal. Uh, he's being intentionally gross. I can tell you that. He's a little mm-hmm. frustrated. He's a little irritated with all of these people who question him and don't follow him and you know, constantly are criticizing him. And, um, and the evidence is all around. So again, we, we are not saved by eating Jesus. We are saved by believing in the work of Jesus and repenting of our sins and placing our faith and trust in him. That is how we are saved. And what is the work of Jesus? His death. Hmm. He died on the cross so we can live. So we are saved ultimately by his death. And we don't eat him, we believe in him. And the Lord's Supper is remembering that, mm. that I am saved just as food saves me. Every time I eat, I'm saved physically. If you don't eat, you die. Mm. 
mm-hmm. physically. We are saved spiritually, and we remember that through the Lord's Supper. So mm-hmm. th- that's my thoughts. I, I think it's I think it's absolutely um, great, great text. But you got to read things in context. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you if you don't if you don't understand something, read a little ahead or read a little behind because yeah. you might have missed something or you might not have come to something. Right. So mm-hmm. always do that. So John is putting things in order for a reason mm-hmm. so that we understand them. Yeah. Okay. That's great. All right. Our next question comes in from Leah and she says, I often feel like I have trouble hearing from God. I generally know right from wrong, but when it comes to planning for my future, my career, school, etc., I struggle to understand God's plan for me. I feel like I need the Holy Spirit to use a megaphone in my head for me to know what God's will is for my future. I've prayed and asked for counsel from my small group, but I still feel utterly lost. Are there pra- any practical steps to help me hear God better? Yeah, well, let me just say this. You know, I'm assuming Lee is young, and and this is just this is just the devastating reality of our modern society is everybody feels like they have a calling. Everybody feels like they have this unique role on Earth, and you know, um, we, we we no longer feel like we can just be ants. You know, remember the movie Ants, where you just you just do what everybody else does, right. and mm-hmm. and there's freedom in that. The problem is now you have to figure out everything. You have to you have to you have to figure out your own career. You have to find your one true love. You have to and and a hundred years ago you just did whatever your parents did, mm-hmm. and you married the one dude or gal in your town. You just right, it, it was just it was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know now people have millions of options and they can't find anybody. Which a hundred years ago you had sometimes zero options yeah. <laughs> or one option, and, and and people lived in relative happiness in terms of marital fulfillment. And so. Let me just say this. God does not care what you do. Pick a career that's going to allow you to support yourself financially. So that's the main thing. As an adult, you must support yourself. Let me say that to all my millennials. You must support yourself. It is not everyone else's responsibility to support you. So find a career that can support you. What kind of lifestyle do you want to live? That that tells you how much money you need to make, okay? Is your lifestyle godly or is it uh, you know, self-centered or monetarily centered? You know, it, what kind of amount of money do you feel like you need to make to sustain your life? And, and is God blessing that? So maybe God's called you to make a bunch of money. Okay, why would God call you to do that? I guarantee you that if it's God, he's called you to make a bunch of money so that you can fund his kingdom and build mm-hmm. his church. Otherwise, it's just sin. If you're just collecting crap for yourself, you're just collecting an extra long lecture on judgment day. So <laughs> seriously, so... You know, God does not care. Here's a great verse, and I, I want you to pray over this. Um, it's Leah, right? Mm-hmm. Leah, I want you to pray over and memorize Micah 6, 7, and 8. Because the question in Micah is, what does God want from us? What on earth does God want? So Micah's saying, God, your people are confused. What does God require? And so here's what God says. The Lord has told you what he wants, what is good and what he requires of you. God actually answers. He says, do what is right love mercy and walk humbly with your God. The way I memorized it was to love justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Mm-hmm. So live a morally right life. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Be a moral person. So if you're a teacher, be a moral teacher. If you're a doctor, be a moral doctor. If you're, if you're a, a police officer or, or you do taxes or you're an accountant or you, you, you sell property or you know, you're an artist, whatever it is that you do, do it with uh, morality, do it, you know, trying to help people and to walk humbly with God and say, God, my life is about you, not about what I do. That's what God wants. Jesus was a carpenter, Mm -hmm. right? He was a construction worker. What does that tell you? 
you can be whatever you want and still save the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people are like, well, God wants me to build things. Well, that's what Jesus did. Hmm. Why? He was building a kingdom. He was a builder. Probably not, you know, when we think of construction, we think of wood. He probably wasn't a woodworker. He was probably a stonemason. Think hmm. about that job. Because hmm. most houses were made out of stone. <clears throat> yeah. So he probably worked with his hands. It was a very, very difficult, laborsome thing. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. So wherever he went, he made big tents. Mm-hmm. So it's what he did. And um, he, he just owned it. Be whatever God has called you to be. The disciples were fishermen. They fished. That's how they made their living. But they also served God. And so the first thing is to serve God. So pick a career that allows you time, time to spend with your family and time to serve the Lord. And, and, and choose those two things. And if you do those two things, you're going to be happy. Mm-hmm. If you get caught up in my job is supposed to make me happy and my job is supposed to be fulfilling, I believe fulfillment, true fulfillment comes from God, not from your career. And this is why everybody's so miserable. You know, whatever you're doing at your job, most people don't enjoy their jobs. That's why you get paid to show up, right? That's, you're not gonna be there. And everybody, a lot of people say, well, if I won the lottery, you're a liar. <laughs> you're, you're not gonna show up. You're gonna go do something else. You know, um, so just find a career that allows you to support yourself Take care of yourself. You'll live a reasonable, happy life and serve God and serve his church and Mm -hmm. you will be happy. It's just so simple. God has called every single one of us to love Jesus and to build his church. Those is everyone's two calling. How you help support that financially, man, what are your gifts? What are you good at? What are you talented at? Where are your strengths at? Where are your weaknesses at? And so really, Find an exploration of yourself. You know, I'm going through this with my my two daughters. They're, you know, my one daughter's a junior in college. She's going to be a senior. Mm-hmm. So like c- career is coming. And I'm like, you got to start figuring this out based yeah. upon your strengths. And she's like, I don't know what my strengths are. I'm like, my oldest, I'm like, you're a leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whatever you do in your life, you need to be leading. And it really doesn't matter where you are as long as you understand God's wired you to lead. And leadership is not about a career. It's about people. Mm-hmm. So who cares what you do as long as it's moral, as long as it's just, allow, as long as it allows you to be humble and merciful, go do that and, and be an example of who God is and do great things with your life. Free yourself up to say, God really doesn't care what I do. He cares about who I am. Yeah, love and that. who I am has to be focused on justice, mercy, and humility, and then I can move forward. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't think, you know, schools do a great job of helping young people figure out what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And most young people today just want to be rich and famous, which is not <laughs> all that helpful because most people are not going to be rich and famous. And that's why so many of us are miserable. Um, and, and what's interesting about that Why are you crushing is, my dreams, man? Well, sorry. And rich, rich uh, wealth and fame usually ruins people. It, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, it doesn't help people. Um, I mean, like everybody wants to go to Hollywood. That's not going to happen to me. That place spits people out. Same thing with a lot of money oftentimes mm. does. And, you know, so. You know, can um, can I give a quick plug for Claude Hickman's book? I think it's a, if you, if Leah wants to go a little bit deeper, yeah. he just did a, the new, he's got a new little book that came out. It's an easy read called It's All Backward. Um, and it's just going to go deeper and more in depth. It's perfect for young adults. Um, so it's yeah. really helpful. I've loved and enjoyed it. Yeah. And so Leah, you know, a lot of people fall into their careers. It's someone you knew, someone, you know, I mean, it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Life is not about what you know, it's about who you know. And so who do you know and how can you try to find your way through that? And so I got my first preaching gig because my dad knew a pastor and, and that's the reality. So that's how I got my first job mm. because nobody's going to hire a 20 year old kid to do ministry. 
Yeah. But they you did. Know what? Can I? Yeah. I got super addicted to pornography as a little kid. Eventually that started coming on the computers. I had to learn how to hack the computer so the modem wouldn't go wee, 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 <laughs> in the middle of the night, wake my parents up. So I learned how to be really good at computers. I was able to get a job doing IT. Then I learned how to do web stuff. And then from there, that became something that was useful to other people and eventually Sandals Church, like doing technology and all those other kind of things. It just kind of happened, you know, mm-hmm. and I, God was just moving while I was just doing whatever could be happening next, you know, yeah, if and you, ultimately redeeming something really gross in my life. Yeah, I just had this conversation with Madison, um, my oldest, because she got offered a job this week and she was struggling with whether or not to take it. And I told her, when you're young, acquire skills. Mm-hmm. If, if, you're, if you're under 30, don't take a job, acquire skills. Yes. Learn as many things as you possibly can. And in every job, you can learn something. Don't make it about the paycheck, make it about the experience uh, and try to learn something and acquire skills. Um, a lot of young people waste their time at work because they don't feel like that they're learning anything. Every single job, you, if nothing else, you can learn what not to do, how mm-hmm. not to lead, how not to inspire, mm-hmm. and then choose to be a different person. A lot of people don't ever think about that. Wow, my last boss was really terrible. That probably means that God wants you to be a boss. Mm-hmm. And he wants you to learn how to be better. Mm-hmm. And look, we all need better bosses. We all need better employers. We we all we all advance when somebody figures out how to do things better. You know, it's like you know, I don't get why Donald Trumps and America hates Amazon. They figured out how to do it better. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go to a stupid mall where we fight in with parking <laughs> lots and you know see people we don't want to see and oh my gosh, right? And shop and lines and all that stuff. My wife, man, Black Friday, she's at home on her computer and her PJs. She said, this is great. <laughs> and like, everybody wants to kill this. I'm like, somebody figured out how to do it better. So constantly be figuring out how to do things better. And in, in, in any job, you can learn that and, and, and you can create that. And so, um, you know, acquire skills. Skills pay the bills. Boom. Wow. That was good. I was like, do I ring the bell on that? It's not really uh, a... Well, you know, we're going to give him credit for Jesus that one. I think Jesus would have said that, probably. <laughs> Okay, we have two more questions. We do. So this next one comes in from Lauren, and she says, My mother's side of the family is Jewish in background, but our faith is Christian. However, I don't know much about Jewish stuff, just Christian stuff. Does my Jewishness matter, and does it make me different from other Christians? Uh, doesn't matter how. I think it's it's a cool heritage. Mm. And so I think as a Jew, um, you should be very, very proud of your heritage. I think as all cultures should be, all ethnicities should be. Uh, it's something that you should look into. I would encourage you to go with us to Israel this summer so that you can kind of tap into more of your history and understand uh, the uniqueness of your people's role in the salvation of the world. I mean, God chose your people, uh, chose a Jew to die on the cross. I'm always interested, you know, when we go to Israel, I ask our guides, how does it make you feel that Jesus is a Jew? And it's something they never think about because mm. it, if most Jews are honest, Jesus is a Gentile. They don't see him as a Jew. They just don't. It never occurs to them that he is a Jewish rabbi that the Gentile world worships. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's just an awesome, awesome thing. So I think it's something that's beautiful. It's something that's wonderful. Um, you know, I think you may want to eventually uh, attend a um, you know a, a Messianic Jewish congregation on Saturdays to uh, you know practice the Sabbath and do those things. And I think as a Jew, you can continue to remain. Um, in your cultural heritage. And I think it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So um, I think that you should explore that, dive deep into that. I think it's beautiful. But in terms of, are you any different? No, the gospel says we are no longer male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, uh, barbarian, Scythian or slave. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are all one. You don't have to be Jewish in order to follow Jesus. The tragedy is in order for Jews to be reached, 
it's going to have to be from Jewish Christians. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality. And so, um, you know, God's heart breaks for the Jewish people, as does the apostle Paul, as does mine, because um, Jesus said, I came first to the Jews Mm -hmm. and then to the Gentiles. And so God's heart is for them. And ultimately, before this whole thing is wrapped up, I think we're going to see a revival of Jews uh, repenting and returning to Jesus Christ as the savior Mm -hmm. of the world and as the Messiah. And I think you're going to see that in a powerful, powerful way. And again, the gospel of John, I believe is written by a Jew to Jews. Okay, so here's our last question. I've been going to church most of my life, but I never seem to fit in with other Christians. I feel like Christians usually act and talk a certain way, and I can't talk about things like going to a bar or make a funny joke that includes a bad word. So I feel like I can never completely be myself. I know God says it's important to fellowship, but I feel like my interactions with other Christians are so forced. What should I do? Yeah, so we're not gonna do the Mr. Clean question. Oh, we can do it. We yeah, were, I love that we, question. Okay, we'll come so, back to it. Okay, we'll come back. Okay, so, okay, there's two things. One, I want something I want to say to you. Two, something I want to say to Christians. So to you, there are things in your life that are probably not Christian. So part of your issue is, is the self that you're comfortable with is not yet going to be comfortable with Christ. Mm. So you have to change. So part of, mm. part of, you know, the sermon that Justin preached this last weekend is there's some things in your life that need to be pruned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, profanity when it comes out in our life is just another area where God has not yet dealt with an, uh, an issue of our hearts. And so that's just the reality. You know, well, why do I want to tell this dirty joke? Why do I want to do that? And, um, you know, I had those issues in my life. God had to deal with me over time on that issue. So there's a part of you, um, a, a big part of you that is not yet Christian. Now let me speak to number two. Christians are weird. <laughs> they just are. And um, it drives me crazy. I feel like we're cultic, we're bizarre. Here's what I want. Here's, if you're a Christian, just try to be normal. Don't be weird. Don't be bizarre. Don't be goofy. Don't be over, you know, overtly nerdy. Don't, don't be, just be normal. Here's where we should be abnormal. We should be abnormal in love. Yes. Abnormal in grace. Abnormal in forgiveness. We should be abnormal, uh, you know, in our generosity. Those are the areas where we should be weird and bizarre. Is in areas that want to want to make people be more like us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we, but Christians specialize in being bizarre, where people are like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be. You know, God doesn't want to, you to dress weird. Dress normal. Cover yourself, but dress normal. You know, I mean, you know, we don't need to start a Christian clothing company where we all wear certain sweaters. It just stop. Mm. Just go shop. And, 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 and try to dress in a normal way. Um, you know, it's, it's just tragic to me that Nike's never thought they needed to make clothing for Christian women. But now all of a sudden they got to make hijabs for Muslim women, right? Hmm. Nike has been pressured religiously into creating clothing for Muslims, but they never thought they had to do that for Christian women. Hmm. So how sad is that? You know, if Christian women stopped buying Nike clothing, Nike would change and they would make appropriate clothing that covers you that still is athletically comfortable and good looking. So don't be weird. But when we all have to take a knitting class and we're wearing corduroy or whatever, then it's a problem. So I like the sound the corduroy makes when I'm walking. I hate that sound. It drives me crazy. Mm. So just just be normal. And my apologies Mm. that Christians are weird. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why we get so funky, but we do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you go to church, it's like going to the land that time forgot. I mean, it's just (laughs) bizarre. It just is. And that's just one of those things. And, um, you know, it's like when you, when you run into Amish people and I just, I just want to know who, who who said, you know, 1884 was the year where we peaked Mm -hmm. culturally. Cause 
you know, even like Orthodox Jews, when you, when you go to Israel, it's like, certainly you guys could have a vote and not wear black wool, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, black Maybe wool. Maybe with the Amish thing, though, I wonder if like 1884 is like when, for the first time, the guy had a beard, shaved off the mustache, and somebody looked and said, yes, we've arrived. Pause. There was something that happened. So there was something that happened in non-Catholic mm. Christianity and, and, and even in Judaism at, with the advent of electricity, people started freaking out and they felt like the world was going to hell on a handcart, which it's always been. And they literally froze in time. And every uh, denomination struggles. They get they get stuck in time, and they they reject you know uh, the changing culture, which culture is always changing. It's always been changing, right. and and the gospel hasn't had a problem with that. It has a problem with being immoral, but it doesn't have a problem with change. Mm-hmm. I mean, the gospel is not opposed to electricity on the Sabbath. That's ridiculous, but some Jews believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Amish believe that. You know, we have to we have to you know, let our children die because we have to reject medicine and we have to work hard and die at 50 because that's what God wants us to do and our teeth need to rot out. It's like, no, I think God can use a dentist. It's okay. <laughs> and, you know, your wife would appreciate your better smelling breath. Amen. That's just the reality. <laughs> um, it's just really, really sad that mm-hmm. Christians, there's just something about us that's stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we need to just embrace technology and understand that. I mean, the Apostle Paul got on ships. Mm-hmm. To travel around to spread the gospel, he wrote letters. What are the, those? That's technology, mm-hmm. and we need to embrace that, and we need to be okay with that. You know, a lot of people. Oh, I just think it's the devil that you're watching. You know, Pastor Matt on the screen. If Paul could have done that, he would have done that. Mm-hmm. If he could have preached sermons to all the churches on video screens, I guarantee you, he would have oh, done yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Because that 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 would be a better way to be present with the church. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we, we get caught up on everything and people say, well, I just believe, well, people at Sandals aren't looking at me anyways. Even if mm-hmm. you're a Hunter Park campus, they're staring at the screen. Mm-hmm. It works. It transcends. Totally. It, man, I, I watched online this weekend and it was powerful. Uh, my hands were lifted when you guys said, I'm, you know, I'm in the my TV room with my kids. My hands are up. I'm crying. Mm-hmm. You know, my face is fried off <laughs> and I'm right there with you guys worshiping and it, it is mm-hmm. fine. And Christians, we just get so caught up on the mm-hmm. most bizarre things. It's just mm-hmm. like, Whatever. Yeah. Hmm. And I would say too, though, there are like for the person who's challenged, like is really struggling to dive into, you know, spending time with more Christians. Like I remember like, you know, coming out of college, that's, you know, I really came to Christ at some point in college there and joined our college group here. And I remember like transitioning to hanging out with more of my Christian friends was weird and hard because, you know, I was used to my college friends and Mm -hmm. we all partied together and stuff. But all of a sudden now I'm hanging out with friends and we played games together instead of drinking together. It's like, oh, I get to actually interact with you. This is actually kind of fun. Yeah. I didn't play the game with a single person in college other than like drinking games. Right. But, and like it was a different, it's different and it was weird, but it was actually really fun. And it was a new way to hang out with people. And I remember just experiencing things that are specific to Christian culture. Like guys were taught to be very respectful to girls, you know, like they would let us eat first or pick yeah. up chairs for us. That didn't happen in no. other things. And it's, it's new and different, but there were beautiful things to experience by stepping into what was new and uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And you have things to offer there too. You can let them know like the world is not a scary, awful place. You can be normal. Mm-hmm. You can talk about going to a bar. You're not like, that's not terrible stuff, but there's beauty to be experienced in that new Christian culture. That's actually really wonderful and really great. In a lot yeah. of ways. So. And, and the beauty of grace. And I think Stephanie brought up a great point is the reason people drink is because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. They need something to take the edge off and, and to be what they believe is a better version of themselves around other people. Mm-hmm. How sad is that, that you have to be drunk to have a good time. Right. God wants you to be able to have a good time because he wants you to have a good time and you don't need to be intoxicated to make that happen. And so you need to be able to learn to be around people and be you and have them love you. And so that's what people say, oh, I can just be myself when I'm drunk. That's not you. 
that is not you. Mm-hmm. It's somebody else. It's something else. And there's darkness in that. And and you need to look at that. If if you have to if, if to be you, you have to smoke weed or you have to get drunk or you have to take, you know, pills to be you, um, you know, to be intoxicated, that's not you. It's something else. It's adjusting mm-hmm. the personality that God gave you. And you need to learn to be comfortable with yourself, others, and God. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you got to be real. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's difficult. It is. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a lot easier to be in a room with everybody that's drunk because everybody's buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> but God wants you to be present and God wants you to be aware and to be able to have a good time. And how about this? Remember it, not puke. That's fun. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah. It's just bizarre to me the way the world has a good time. Oh man, I got so effed up. I had such a great time. Like if you said that about your car, yeah. Oh my car is so effed up. Well, I don't. That's an accident. That's not yeah, that's a good time. <laughs> but you do that to your body, and that's partying. I'm just like, how, how much do you hate yourself? I mean, I literally hate throwing up. I, <laughs> I probably hate it more than anything in the world. I loathe mm-hmm. it. And people, that's their Friday night. I'm like, no, thank you. Nope. Okay, All so right. we're gonna we we have we now have a bonus question. Yeah. This was originally cut for time. It was, oh. but it's but the we're bringing it back. Mr. Clean. Yeah, Mr. Clean. We went from puke to Mr. Clean. All right. So Mr. Clean asks, why was God so concerned about being clean throughout Exodus and Leviticus? There are so many rules that disqualify people from being clean. For example, people with leprosy or men, women with menstrual bleeding or bodily discharges. Leviticus 21, 17 through 18 says, give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, none of your descendants who have any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, or deformed. So in the New Testament, we see Jesus embrace the dirty and sick outcasts throughout the Gospels. Did God change his mind about being clean or is there a theological principle that explains this? Right, so there's a lot there and I think it's a great, the reason I wanted this question is because of Justin's verse in John mm-hmm. 15, three, mm-hmm. by my words that I have spoken, you are already clean. So mm-hmm. let's let's go back. So first off, uh, do you wanna hang out with somebody with a bodily discharge? Do you wanna be around somebody whose skin is oozing? Do you wanna be around? I mean, you're, you're, you're around people when, literally sickness. You're in a community. So, right, the ecclesia of God in the Old Testament, Israel, the ecclesia of God in the New Testament, the church, when you're gathered with people, like if you have the flu, maybe stay at home. That's what God's trying to say. God was so far advanced. So think about this, thousands of years before we understood why you should wash before you eat, Mm -hmm. God is saying, wash, Mm -hmm. wash you, wash the things you eat. Don't eat the blood. What, What is raw? What is undercooked meat do? Kills you. Make sure there's no blood in it. God knows, and these are health provisions that help provide a, a difference for his people and actually health benefits for his people. So before you go into the house of worship and get everybody sick, go show yourself to the priest. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're okay before you're in the, you know, you're giving a communicable disease everywhere. So um, so, so make sure that, you know, that you take that time. Um that's just that's just how God is and, and what God is. And so God has a lot of things to do with blood, which is why, you know, women, when they're on their monthly cycle, that's just a part of Judaism. And so you need to go, you know, be in the tent and, and be there and not be, that's just, that's just one of those ancient things, cultures, whatever. So his question was. So then in the New Testament. That, well, hold on. There are rules yeah. that disqualify. Yes. Here's the issue. Don't give God your second best. So in the ancient world, everything in your family was dependent upon your strongest male heir. Mm-hmm. Everything was dependent upon that. That was your most valuable possession in life was the strongest, fittest, healthiest male heir. So which heir are you going to designate to the Lord? Your kid that has special needs, your yeah. kid that has, you know, that, right, a misshapen testicle. 
Well, why, why would a misshapen testicle matter? Because testicles are what produce children. Mm-hmm. So if the testicles are broken, there's no chance for another heir from that son. So we're going to dedicate that guy to the Lord. Mm-hmm. No, you're going to give your very best. God wants your very best, which is all preparing us for what God is going to sacrifice, which is his best, his, own, his one and only mm, son. Yeah. So what is different? The entire Old Testament, the purpose of the law is to teach us we can't do it. Yep. That's the purpose. Mm-hmm. 613 laws, try the very best you can, you cannot do it, which is why Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the famous verse that we talked about, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Yeah. What is he saying? It is unattainable. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. So God has always demanded that we be clean. Why? Because human beings in order to be saved have to deal with their shame. So we live in a culture that says you should never have shame. Mm. In order to be a Christian, you have to deal with your shame. Mm. Here's the issue. We can't deal with our shame. That's why our culture rejects it because you can't deal with your shame. Only Jesus can. Mm -hmm. So how does Jesus Christ deal with your shame? By his word, you are already clean. The Mm -hmm. word that he's spoken, what did he do? He died on the cross and he died and sacrificed his life for your shame, for your sin. Jesus Christ deals with shame on the cross. But in order for us to have our, our, our shame dealt with in the cross, we have to deal with it in repentance. And every single human being needs to understand there's something wrong with me. There is. And when we run around telling people there's nothing wrong, we're lying to them. And when you rob a culture of shame, you rob them of the opportunity of grace. That's the reality. So here's why we have all these people we've been telling two generations now in America, never feel bad, never feel ashamed. And what's happening? Suicide rates are through the roof. Uh, Kids are more dissatisfied, more unhealthy. Like everything in our society culturally psychologically, emotionally, spiritually going in the tank because for 20 years, we've had a war on shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't ever feel shameful. You should never feel guilty. You should never feel bad. Well, guess what? Those feelings are real. The issue is not whether or not to feel shame, guilt, or feeling bad. The issue is how do you deal with those feelings? And the way we deal with those feelings as Christians is we deal with them on the cross. Only Mm -hmm. the bloody, terrible, awful cross that we all come to as Christians can deal with the part Mm -hmm. of us inside that we we don't wanna admit to. We don't, we don't want to deal with that. And um, I don't like dealing with that. I mean, there's arguments that my wife and I have had because some of the depravity of my soul and the reality of my sin got out. I work really, really hard to not let it out, but it gets out. And then we have to deal with, with something I did or how I reacted or, or uh, uh, you know, an action that I took and it's painful to her. It's embarrassing for me. It's, it's, it's uh, contrary to what I say I believe. Well, that's the reality of my shame. So what do I do? I take it to the cross. So God has always been about dealing with our shame, with our guilt, with our sin. He's always been about cleaning that which is uh, dirty and filthy. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, he was setting us up. No matter how much you scrub, you can't be clean. Jesus comes by the words that I've spoken to, you are already clean. He is the fulfillment of this. Mm -hmm. So now, right, let's go back. Jesus talks about, he did not come to destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill it. The Greek word for fulfill is actually accomplish. Mm. So what, what did he do? He accomplished what the law could not do. He made us clean. He, now this is, this is gonna blow your mind. The Greek word fulfill, accomplish, actually means born again. Mm. It means a starting point, right. the starting of a new life. Mm. He says, I will not do away with it until I accomplish it, until I finished the new work I'm beginning in you. Mm. It's man, it's powerful. Mm. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything the law could not do. He mm. fulfilled yes. 
what scrubbing and obeying and 613, you know, like we can't do it. And, and oh, by the way, the people that felt like they were the experts at living out the law were the worst people in Jesus' day. Yeah. And that's what happens when you become self-righteous and self-religious, you, you become an awful person because instantaneously you start judging everyone else and you fail to judge yourself. So Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. And so the law should drive, but that doesn't mean, and again, this is, this is the challenge for Christians. I mean, tell me which of the 10 commandments you now get to break. Mm. Do, you, do you get to worship another God? Do you get to not worship God and, and rest? Do you get to not commit adultery? Do you, get to, do you get to start lying now? Do you get to start coveting, right? All of those, those laws are still moral principles to live by. Mm-hmm. The problem is we can't do those things perfectly. Mm-hmm. We can't. Paul says, I covet all the time. All the law, Paul says, is taught me that I'm a coveter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? As soon as he said, and I mean, as soon as you tell a child, like when you have this new baby that's born, you're going to think that you should have named him or her no or don't. <laughs> like every child, no, don't, stop, don't, no, don't. And the second you say that, there's something in human beings that wants to do it even more. All mm-hmm. the law does is exposes our need to break it. Mm-hmm. It does, it does. But laws, true laws are given in love. Right, there's speed limits not because the, the United States of America wants us not have a good time by driving our cars fast. Speed limits are there because America loves us and loves other drivers, mm-hmm. and we need to be safe. And yeah. so we need to look at the law now, not out of obligation, but out of love. Mm-hmm. And so God wants me to do these things not in order to be saved, but because God because God loves me. And so because of that, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. Right, that's the first commandment. Have no other gods but me. Don't make any idols. Don't worship anything else, just me. Make sure that you remember me one day a week for worship and gathering and Sabbath. Boom. Like we're still doing those things. And you just, you run through those. The first five commandments have to deal with our relationship with God. The second five have to deal with our relationship with ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. Self, God, and others all through that. And so we need to make sure that we love everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, right, Jesus summarizes the law in one commandment, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And actually, I just read this, um, uh, was it yesterday in Matthew? Jesus says, the golden rule summarizes the entire law. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. So that's there's another summary. S- start treating people the way you wanna be treated, and that'll make the world a better place. Love it. So yeah, great question. I, I, don't, think, I don't think God has changed at all. What changed is how God deals with your sin. That's what changed. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that is because of Jesus Christ. And that's why everyone should be a Christian and everyone listening, stop apologizing for being a Christian. The Hindu has to answer how they know they're righteous. The Muslim has to answer how they know they're righteous. The Jew has to answer, how do you know you're righteous? You're gonna stand before God. How do you know? Only the Christian is able to say, I know that I stand before God as righteous, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. The sacrifice in the altar that makes me acceptable to God is Jesus. Stop apologizing for being a Christian. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ spoke and by his word, you are already clean. Mm. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. It's Mm -hmm. not about who we are, it's about who he is and what he did. That's why we worship, that's why we gather, that's why we tithe, Mm -hmm. that's why we tithe. Man, oh, one more thing, we gotta talk about this. This is real quick, this is like the longest episode ever. That's good, But, um, you know, this week I was reading where Jesus, tells the guy that's healed of leprosy, go show yourself to the priest mm-hmm. and and give the gift of Moses. Oh. So I actually I actually did some research on that. So the gift of Moses is three lambs. Huh. So I Googled it. Do you know how much three lambs cost today? 
900 bucks, 300 bucks a piece. And then you also have to give the priest a log of oil, which measurements half pint of oil, half a pint of oil. So nowadays, you know, you get olive oil pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. 2000 years ago, extraordinarily oh, expensive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can't, we can't even quantify how expensive that offering is, but it doesn't matter because he was healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and for every one of you that's struggling with tithing, that's struggling with giving, um, you know, you guys don't know this, but we actually had a church member give $56,000 this last week wow. because of the sermon two mm-hmm. weeks ago where the woman gave the gift that was one year salary. And I mm-hmm. said, that's about 50. We actually had a church member write that check mm-hmm. and they felt prompted to give that. And for some of us, we're like, you know, oh my gosh. And, you're, and you're, if you're struggling with tithing, if you're struggling with an offering, you're struggling with the gift that God has given you. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And the man does. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, but it's expensive. He just does it because of the gift he's received, because of what's happened. Listen to me, come to the cross and you'll become a tither. You'll become a giver. Come there because you will understand what God has done. And um, I think it's only in Matthew that it says, give the gift of Moses. On all the other stories, it says, go show yourself to the priest because you can't enter the house of worship. Remember the different courts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the court of women, there's a section where the priests live and that's where the people who were cured of leprosy would come and show themselves. Mm. And so in order to do that, you had to go through a ritual that was very, very expensive, mm. extraordinarily expensive. And, and Leviticus, I think it's 14. If you're poor, there's another offering that you could give that was about doves, but it still costs them something. Mm-hmm. Why? Because a gracious gift moves something in us to give. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's how worship goes both ways. Well, I don't feel like I should have to give. Well, I don't feel like you have to either. I feel like you should want to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was just really, really powerful time for me with, with Jesus saying that. And again, we don't have to do, we're not under the law anymore, yeah. but what does he tell him? Now go do it according mm-hmm. to Leviticus chapter 14. Go do exactly what the law said because Jesus didn't come to end blessing God. Mm-hmm. He came to take away our sin and, and mm-hmm. to heal us, to so to us. And in that case, he healed the man of leprosy. And... Uh, which was a terrible debilitating disease that made him socially unacceptable to others. So, so in, in that act of healing, he not only makes him right with God, but he makes him right with his brothers and sisters in his community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's powerful. Uh, everything that Jesus is saying, man, he's saying for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, pray through that, work through that. And um, you know, get in God's word. I, I, can't, I can't say it enough. Get in God's word. I just wrapped up the Old Testament last week. I'm now in Matthew, mm. super excited. And, um, and before I read every book, I always read, uh, I do a study Bible. I, every time I reread the uh, opening one or two pages about the outline of the book. So I always do that. You know, I love that thing you just said about the the Leviticus offering, you know, yeah. the two doves, as we're moving into Advent here or whatever. Um, because I, when I read, that's the same offering that Mary and Joseph brought right. with Jesus. And it's just mm-hmm. like, right, just a reminder that God sent his greatest gift right into the middle of these people who are to- in total poverty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's so encouraging that when we feel like we've got nothing to give, God gives us something really incredible and then just asks us to, you know. Yeah. And, and, and you know, just for spark. those of you who are reflecting on Thanksgiving, you know, it's such a tragedy that Black Friday follows Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh God, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful, and then I gotta go get all this crap, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's just tragic that we respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just something about us, you know, you know, a Mardi Gras, to follow right before or right after right Lent? Before, right before. Yeah, so the Tuesday. day before Lent, sin like crazy. Uh, Halloween, 
is right before after All Saints, All Saints Day. Day. And it's just, it's just kind of, people are so excited to sin whenever we have a moment where we say thank you to God. And it just reveals the human heart. It just reveals <laughs> why we so desperately need Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And, uh, you know, we do a thing at our house um, where everybody has to go around and share what they're thankful for. Mm-hmm. And we're deadly serious about it. And it's, it's a real problem. And um, uh, I don't know if you guys, I, on Instagram, there's this story that's floating around where this family does this. And uh, they ask, like, he looks like he's like a 20 year old son, you know, what are you thankful for? And the kid cusses, but he's thankful for his mom because his dad's a jerk. He doesn't say jerk. <laughs> it turns into this thing where the, literally the son loses his mind and flips over the table. And I think another brother's recording and laughing. And it's just really sad and tragic that we're so self-centered that we can't, we can't even be thankful for little things mm. like you're alive today. You're not hurting today. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had surgery on my face last week. I'm thankful that my face doesn't hurt today. <laughs> like, like how many of you right now, you're not even thinking about your face. Like not only does my face hurt me, but it's hurting you guys as you're looking at my face. <laughs> Listen, there was, I was trying not to do any irony when we were talking about, you know, uh, leprosy, yeah, discharges. Yeah, yeah. I would be unclean. Yeah. Like, I, would not, I would not get we into the temple. We stuck you in the back door to the church yeah. today. Yeah, there so. you go. We, yeah. uh, we love you YouTubers. That's why you're seeing the beautiful, beautiful animation uh, mm-hmm. right now. So you guys, well, speaking of Christmas, you just got a first gift of the holiday season, an extra 24 minutes of the debrief for your <laughs> listening Pleasure. Pleasure. We love you guys. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you can find show notes for this episode at debrief.show slash 90. We'll have some of the verses that Pastor Matt mentioned there, that book that Justin threw out. We'll have all that there for you at the show notes so that you can check those out. We'll also have a link there where you can uh, give to the debrief if you'd like. I'll let Justin do his. Yeah. And I want to say something to those of you guys who are not a part of Sandals Church, um, but you listen to the debrief every single week. Um, we are so grateful when you guys give and support what God is doing here through our church. And we, we're, we're taking some of y'all seriously too. We're, we have some really big plans and goals and projects we're working on for 2018 that are specifically gonna be able uh, ways that we can serve and support you in your own journey. So when you're giving, um, of course, you're helping us here as a church and launch new locations and we're pursuing that like crazy, uh, but we're also working on creating some really great content and tools and resources uh, for you guys in the coming years. So as you think about giving, you know, today's actually Giving Tuesday, uh, hashtag Giving Tuesday. As you think about that kind of stuff and any generosity at the end of this year, uh, we are so grateful for when you support us. So you can do that at debrief.show slash 90 or text give debrief to 951-900-4120. That is right. You can also follow us at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We promise we're not going to show you Pastor Matt's face, but lots of other great things from the show. We'd love to have you follow us there and be our friend. Yep. Just go ahead and text give debrief 56,000 to 951-900-4120. Yeah. <laughs> so, Only if it's going to clear though. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Love you guys. Have a nice future. Dominic the donkey. That was nice. Yeah. That's your send off. Dominic the donkey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Chiggity cha, hee ha, hee ha. I'm just going to leave a link to that song on the show notes this week.